Midnight in Karachi with Mavish Murad on tour.com. This is Midnight in Karachi and joining me this week is David Talaman, writer of the fantasy adventure novels Giant Thief, Crown Thief and Prince Thief and the Marcosia graphic novel. Did I say that correctly, Dave? Um, I believe so. The Marcosia graphic novel Endangered Weapon B, Mechanimal Science. His short fiction has been published in magazines like Clark's World and Lightspeed, to name a couple. And his latest book is the Tor.com novella Patchwork, which is about the heist of a device that can alter reality, a heist that takes place while the device begins to do what it is designed to do. David, welcome to Midnight in Karachi. Hi. That was a very good summary, actually. That oh, was the best summary I've heard. Of it, so it, it took me a while to figure that one out. I, I won't yeah, lie. <laughs> That that is now my elevator pitch. It's all yours. Now, right off the bat, though, tell me a little bit about this device, the palimpsest. How does it work? What does it do? And how did you go about making it up? (laughs) Um, It basically works by doing, I shouldn't say this, but it works by doing exactly what the plot needs it to do at any given moment. Um, But the basic idea is um, there's a scientist in this this future world, a giant Florian, who... um, his solution to the, the manifest problems he sees in his world is to create this device which can... Um, the idea basically is that it patches in parts of other alternate realities. Uh, so, for instance, if pollution is an issue, then you just patch in a sky from a reality that isn't so polluted and that kind of thing. Um, so that's the basic concept of it. What, it. what it actually does in practice is quite different from that once things get going. Now, not to give too much away, but the three main characters that we meet in the story, we end up meeting multiple versions of them, as it were. That, I admit, to a great extent, challenged me as a reader to keep up you know, with the pace of the story and the changes that happen. But it also may have been, I was thinking, a challenge as a writer to keep track of. How did you go about sorting out those multiple realities and then balancing them within that one framework? I had a spreadsheet. I used spreadsheets. Did you really? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it probably looks more difficult from a reader perspective than it actually was as a writer perspective because um again without saying too much you know it's consistent within each reality so it's not like things are constantly changing um but yes i I, somewhere i have a spreadsheet which has all the different versions of all the different names and the characters and things did that spreadsheet change as you were writing as well yeah to some extent um i know i tweaked the names a lot um because a lot of them are quite outlandish and you know you come up with something and you start to realize that it doesn't really trip off the tongue and that kind of thing um but yeah i mean i I'm, <laughs> i've become desperately addicted to spreadsheets so it, it's getting worse and worse to be honest um, were you using them before this novella as well i i can't remember um i mean i used to work in it so obviously i was using them for like official purposes um, I certainly wasn't using them to the ridiculous extent that I am now. I mean, I, I tend to do my chapter plans now in spreadsheets, uh, for instance, which I haven't come across anybody else who does. But. Now, which of the characters were most like you? Were they all uh, versions of you, spreadsheet versions of you, different tabs? Um, as in the different reality versions or the different actual characters? Either Although, or. Actually, I don't think it changes the question, really. I don't think it doesn't particularly like me at all. Um, I suppose in the sense that, you know, uh, incarnations of him at least are a a white male uh, of a certain age. John Florian, the main character, is probably the closest. 
Um, but even then, I, I, I don't think we have a huge amount in common. Now, you've written in various subgenres, shall I say, um, including a zombie story for the anthology The Living Dead. I recalled reading in a conversation about the zombie story, Stockholm Syndrome, you were saying that you had always been more interested in people than in monsters, which, of course, then affects your horror stories. People, as we all know, are the worst monsters of all. Uh, I was wondering if you started off intending to write about, say, metaphoric monsters or even literal ones when you write horror. Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I I think it's more that that's where the stories tend to lead rather than where I set out with things, if you know what I mean. Um, I don't think that was necessarily my intention going into Stockholm Syndrome, necessarily. Um, and it's strange in that I've never particularly thought of myself as a, as a character writer, specifically. I mean, I know you come across a lot of people who say that that's the first point of contact with them. Um, and I've never really considered myself as that. You know, it tends to be an idea first, or like in the case of Patchwork, it was the, um, it was the mechanism of the storytelling that was the appeal. Um, but yeah, I always seem to end up drifting back to the characters as the, the point that becomes my main focus. Let's go back many, many, many years. Was the uh, the very young David Talman always going to be a writer? <laughs> I think so. Um, I think it was a toss-up between this and being an artist, basically. Um, when I was at school, I was, I was very into art. I was very into cartooning and that kind of thing. Um, and then I, I failed my art GCSE. Uh, I got a D in art, and it was the only GCSE that I actually failed. So is a D I, a failing grade? Well, I don't know what it's, it's on the cusp, exactly. isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of... Um, but, you know, it's not really hopeful when it's what you're potentially pinning your future on. Um, <laughs> and I passed English, so a lot came down to that, I think. Um, but, yeah, it was always something along those lines, I think. You know, to quote Rod Stewart, or paraphrase him very badly, is there stuff you wish knew back then that you know now about writing? Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, it's almost everything. It's, oh. uh, I, I think the only thing you know when you start out is, is well, no. I, I think you think you know everything when you start, and as you go on, you kind of learn that you don't really know anything. Um, and I think the point, perhaps, when you're getting near to becoming a professional is when you kind of realise that there's so much stuff you don't know and probably never will. Yeah, it's one of the things I think that happens when you start off is you really do think you know everything, but if you didn't, would you really have the confidence to even begin? I think that's probably the truth for it, really. Um, I think there's a line, you know. I, I think if you go in too overly confident, then, you know, you see people sometimes who just write the same kind of thing from the start and then keep doing it because they're very confident that they're doing something right and you know the rest of the universe is wrong in not responding to it correctly um i think that's a, the, the will to learn and the will to figure things out and the will to try new stuff is one of the most useful things you can have as a writer really and who were some of your influences growing up your literary heroes um it's a, it's a tricky one because it's changed an awful lot really and the kind of people who influenced me when I was first starting to think about it are probably people who um, I know I, I did a degree in literature I did my um, well my degree and my MA in literature and it was the worst mistake I've ever made from a writing perspective um, because A you're reading a lot of stuff that you probably can never hope to equal realistically um, and B you end up writing in a style that's absolutely useless for modern day markets. 
Um, so I was into people like uh, Joseph Conrad. I absolutely love Joseph right. Conrad's work. Um, but then I was reading things like Henry James and trying to write like Henry James and stuff. And you know, try selling a sci-fi story in today's market in the style of Henry James. It's um, it's never going to go well, really. Were you writing science fiction in college, in university as well? I I don't think I actually wrote any science fiction. Um, I wrote some fantasy stuff, yeah. Um, but I think then, at that point, I was sort of leaning more towards kind of literary writing. Uh, my first, my abortive first novel, which I actually finished, um, but probably isn't actually long enough to be considered a novel. I think it came out about 70,000 words. Um, that was this strange literary hybrid thing. Um, Nicely based on Leonard Cohen songs and things. It's, um, really? Yeah. No, nobody will ever read it. Because it's that bad or because it's just not going to fly? It's it's not horrendous. There are bits of it that are okay. There's one chapter that's quite good. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's amazingly weird and it doesn't really function at any level. Um, one day I might strip some ideas out of it. There's a few things in it that are quite fun, but... Do you think the market is that conservative? Were you saying in general that things, you know, certain things won't sell or certain things don't work in this market? I actually find that things are expanding a great deal and people are open to newer ideas and, and you know, things that are a little sort of left of centre. Well, I, I'm not sure I meant to say by that that it's conservative. Uh, I Generally, I think I would agree with what you just said. Um, and I think, I mean, it's been one of the things with the Tor.com lineup. I think it's, um, you know, there's stuff in there that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Um, more to say really that I don't think you can you know the problem with trying to write like Henry James is that Henry James wrote like Henry James right. and con of that market quite well and did it quite a long time ago um, so you know it's just better taking your influences from stuff a lot more recent I think well the thing that's, the thing that's interesting about you know influences growing up is as you said, things have changed and things do change in your own mind as well. I find that a lot of books I grew up loving aren't, you know, quite what I remember them to be now. Case in point, Dragonlance. Um, do you have books like that in mind as well? Right. So, so what, what's Dragonlance like coming back to it? Because I, I loved that at the time. It, well, so did I. And coming back to it, I mean, it's a tro- It's so clunky. The writing is just, it's just... And see, I read it as a child growing up in Karachi, not knowing that it was like a secondary uh, unit to a tabletop game. I didn't know what tabletop games were. It was, that, you know, it was a very sort of Western thing for me, or even an American thing for me. I didn't find out till years and years later that the Dragonlance yeah, novels... Exactly yeah. I don't think I knew what D&D was at the time. Exactly. So, yeah, so it like, I thought they were like the oh, best fantasy novels, yeah. <laughs> um, and now um, I'm reading them back and thinking, wow, no, they're really not very good. I don't know. I, largely things that I've gone back to that I read years ago, I've tended to find that they were a lot better than I thought, actually. Um, I just finished rereading uh, The War of the Worlds for about the fifth time. Um, and even though it's one of my favourite books, I was astonished by how good it was. Um, it, it was much better than I remembered it being. Um, but yeah, I don't know. In terms of stuff that was... I mean, the other thing that I found, actually, is um, I often go back to things and realise how much they would influence. Um, and, you know, it had never occurred to me. Um, one of the things that I've always said was a big influence on Giant Thief is the film Labyrinth. But I right. completely didn't twig while I was writing it. And I realised pretty much the weekend it came out. And they were actually screening it at the, um, the conference that I was at that weekend. And I was sort of glancing over my shoulder, seeing it, and like, oh, my God, I so completely ripped this off. 
<laughs> you know, it was it was never for a moment a conscious influence. Yeah. And now, of course, with, with recently with David Bowie's death, I think a lot of people are are talking about how Labyrinth was a huge influence on them. A lot of writers are saying that. Yeah, I mean, I was reading a, a review of it. Um, oh, good opportunity for a plug, actually. My favourite um, film review site, Antagony and Ecstasy, um, recently got around to reviewing it. And yeah, I mean, uh, um, Tim Brayton there was making the point that it really did very badly at the time. Um, and Dark Crystal did extremely badly, but then Labyrinth did even worse. Right. Which, you know, I knew it hadn't been a big success at the time, but um, I think so many people these days, so many writers, so many people into fantasy, uh, if you were to ask them about film influences, it would be, you know, very high on the list there. One of the reasons possibly Labyrinth did really badly is because everyone in the subcontinent was watching it obsessively on pirate VHS cassettes. <laughs> so you know, they didn't make any money off us, but trust me, there were a lot of us watching. Yeah, a lot of us. I mean, I, I'm sure that everybody, when when I was growing up, had at least seen it. It's, um, I think it's one of those things you can look back and sort of see why it would, would have done badly, really, because, I mean, I assume they marketed it to adults as well. Yeah. Um, which I don't think is unfair. I think it's quite an adult film. But it must have come across as so insane. You know, imagine having never seen something like Labyrinth and then seeing Labyrinth. It's, yeah. Um, well, the same goes for Dark Crystal, which I have to admit, scared, you know, just freaked me out so much as oh, a kid. No, I, saw, I think I was four when I saw it, which is probably giving away my age. Yeah, but. I've never gone back. Like, I could never go back and watch it again. I just found it really, really, really scary. The puppets were just horrifying. No, I was exactly the same. I didn't even know I was going to see it because it was part of a double bill. Right. Um, I don't know what film we'd actually gone to see, but it was, you know, um, and I think I was young enough to not understand the notion of double bills, really. So I was just sort of sitting there, you know, it was like um, some strange torture or something. Why am I being forced to watch this? So will you tell me a little bit about this graphic novel of yours? What was that like, changing gears to comics from novels? Oh, Endangered Weapon. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, um, I've said before in places, the thing with comics writing um, is that you're basically writing two stories simultaneously. Um, and one of them is very sparse in that it's the, you know, the script that will appear on the page and the dialogue and stuff. And then the other is um, very different to anything else you would write in that it's a story as you're telling it to the comics artist. Um, so it's quite a strange skill set in that sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was always something that I wanted to do. So I'd, um, I'd experimented with it before and then a few little strips and stuff. So, yeah, it's fun. It's something I want to do more of. And you had, of course, an, an artist working on this. And that's interesting because, as you were mentioning earlier, that you almost would have gone into art as a career if it wasn't for that darn GCSE. Um, <laughs> what was it like then working with someone else? I mean, with a vision very different from what you had in mind, did you ever feel like just, you know, making little sketches for yourself and handing them over? Um, I had almost completely stopped drawing at that point. So I probably couldn't have done stick then at that point. I've gone back to it a little bit since. A little bit frustrating in the sense that, you know, I'm very, very jealous of people who are good artists. Uh, I, the individual in question is a guy called Bob Melsworth, who's gone on to do the um, Star Wars comics. Right. So, I mean, hopefully he's at the cusp of a, a fantastic career and totally deserves it. He's a superb artist. Um, generally, I'm just really happy to let people get on with it. I love having things illustrated. Um, I love getting covers back. Um, I love having things podcast, you know, I really like having other people interpret things and just, you know, the surprise of what they come up with. Would you go back and do more comics? 
Yeah, well, I mean, hopefully I've got another thing coming out at the end of the year, um, a project called 21st Century Gods that's been on the cards for a very long time. Um, but yeah, I, there's a new artist in place in that and a, a publisher with Sarium in place, so touch wood, we, we will have some products by the end of the year. Um, I've got another book finished and an artist attached that uh, I've just got to start trying to sell. So yeah, it's um, it's a very slow process as comics. Um, so. You know, I, I find the novel side an awful lot easier to get into, um, and the short story side even more so. Um, comics is is very difficult. It's a very small market. It's a very hard market, um, and you have to have the artist in place generally beforehand as well, which is is difficult in itself. Um, but yeah, not giving up on it. Are short stories your first love? They were definitely my first love. Um, whether they still are. I'm not sure. Uh, you can't change your first love, David. No, that's, that's true. That's awful. Just... How can you change your first love? <laughs> it's also completely illogical. Yes, short stories are my first love in that case. All right, so what's next? What are you up to now? You've mentioned these comics you're doing. What's your day like? I mean, do you now work uh, you know, on writing all day? Is that something that just you've just uh, I, spreadsheet I your way through your day? <laughs> oh, I wish I could. <laughs> that would be my perfect day. Um, yeah, I, I've been writing full time since um, about November 2013. So I, I try and make it as much like a, a proper, a proper <laughs> um, working day as I can do. Um, I usually do sort of you know seven or eight hours. Um, I don't like to work on one project all the time, so I tend to split it up into chunks. And um, so at the moment I'm doing short stories pretty much in the morning. Um, I've got two novels on the go that I just started within two weeks, which is ridiculous. Um, I'm trying to think. I'm sure there's another project. But yeah, that, that's basically the gist of it. Are you one of those people who works better on deadline? I think so. I mean, if people don't give me them, I set them myself. So I suppose so. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm quite um, obsessive <laughs> about it, really. Um, I, I tend to do roughly the same amount of words every day, so I know roughly when things will finish, and you know I, I'm fairly good at estimating how long things are going to be and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, so <laughs> my spreadsheet for that kind of stuff goes through to about 2018. Right. So changing over to writing as a full-time job, what was that sort of life change like for you? Oh, it's lovely. Um, I, before that, I was doing IT contracting, and I was doing a lot of web night and that kind of thing. Um, so it was tremendously difficult getting, I mean certainly the second two books, Crown Thief and Finn's Thief, uh, it was just a case of grabbing every minute I could basically. Um, I, I've said in the past that Crown Thief was written about 50% on trains and that's probably true realistically. Um, so yeah, it was just a colossal weight off really. It's I've heard other people saying that it was a difficult transition but for me it, it came quite easily. So you, you're one of those people who can write pretty much anywhere, now that you mentioned trains. I don't know if I still could. Um, I could at the time, certainly. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it was a case of sort of setting laptops up in B&Bs. And um, now I've got quite used to, you know, I've got my creature comforts. And I'm quite used to writing in my office and things. Um, but yeah, I mean, I probably still could, realistically, if I had to. Yeah. One more question about patchwork. Um, this form, the form of a novella, because we talked about, you know, short stories, your first love, and comic books that you've written, graphic novels and, you know, novels, trilogy. 
What was the novella process like? Did it feel the same? Did it feel any different? Did you have to sort of hold back or let go more? No, I mean, Patchwork's a very, it's an incredibly strange shape. Um, it's, I mean, I haven't tried to break it down into an app structure, but it's probably a five act book, basically, um, in about 30,000 words. So, you know, <laughs> it couldn't possibly work as anything else, really. If you tried to do that with a novel, I think it would just collapse under itself. Um, and I'd also kind of planned the story to be a novella as well. You know, when I had the idea, I was like, I think you could only push this so far kind of thing. Um, and and 30,000 words seemed quite sensible for that. Um, I've actually just finished a second novella and that was a lot more difficult because that is a much more traditional like structure. And, you know, then it, it, it did feel like trying to cram it into, you know, a, a, a space that wasn't necessarily what I'd have chosen for it. Is is patchwork the world it's in, the people it's with? Is is that done for you? Are you happy with them? Are you done with them? <laughs> That's a difficult question. Um, I but think sometimes you feel like things are left unsaid, unsaid, you know. Like so <laughs> sorry, sorry, you have to be that. Yeah, sorry. Um, uh, I think if it were to sell a million copies, and you know, people were suddenly clamoring to find out what happened next, then I wouldn't be averse to going back to it. Right. And I think you always get to the end of things with an idea of what will happen next. Um, just because, you you know, you've been living with those characters in that world for so long. Um, and so, yes, I mean, there is, there's a potential sequel story there, but not one that I'm itching to write at the moment. I suppose the other thing I should say is that I, I've probably written about four or five books in the meantime. So it's, um, you know, from that point of view, it feels like quite ancient history. Yeah. I find this really interesting, the idea that you have a spreadsheet up till 2018. Um, I mean, not to say that I don't know, say, what I'm doing in the next six months or so. A, a lot of people will know how their year is going to be. But the life of a, excuse me for using this term, but the life of a jobbing writer, as it were, it's, you know, as much as it sounds like great fun to be able to do what you love and what you have a passion for, to do that all day and to let that be your career, it also sounds like incredibly hard work. And I wonder if everyone reading these books realizes how much time and effort it takes and how much you have to write to let it be your career. I don't think people do, but then I don't think people do with any trade, do they? I mean, you know, you get a plumber in and you don't necessarily have an awareness of the years of training that individuals put into to learn their job. Um, but yeah, I think that's probably true of writing than a lot of things. Um, I think it's the case that because it's something that everybody can do in essence, you know, most people can write a sentence. Um, I think there's always this perception that it is something literally that anybody can do. Um, and yeah, I mean, that, that's difficult in a sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, these days, certainly, I think I'm sure there are people making money off writing one book every two years or whatever at the very top of the field. Um, but most of the people I know are producing sort of two or three books a year. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I think I do think anyone can do it. I just don't think everyone should. Yes, I would go with that. I mean, I think everybody is capable of the act of writing. But right. There's not a lot more in writing a novel or even a short story or anything like that than simply being able to string lines together. It's... Um, I don't know if that sounds kind of elitist or whatever. No, no, the question of quality comes in later, of course. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, I suppose getting back to the original question and what you were saying, really, I think there are an awful lot of skills that people perhaps 
don't see, um, even if it is just strange things like sort of time planning and you know that kind of thing. Um, structuring, I think people tend to be completely oblivious to and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely more going on than immediately meets the eye with it. Now, tell me, what are we expecting next from you? What's the next, you know, published deal that we're going to see after um, Batchwork? The next thing will be, um, hopefully, I have a short story collection out at the end of February, uh, which is called The Sign in the Moonlight and Other Stories. Um, I think I'm officially allowed to announce this as of yesterday, actually, so let's go with it. Um, that's coming up with an outfit called uh, Digital Fiction Publishing, um, which is a fairly new American publisher, but a very good one in my experience. Um, after that, it may well be the comic I mentioned, 21st Century Gods, or there's something else that I'm not allowed to talk about. <laughs> All right, well, I guess we'll have to find out slowly then. Yeah, I mean, um, there's going to be a lot of announcements over the next few weeks, I think, it's um, as usual. You know, I, I don't think I've had anything out for oh, about three years, and then I've, there's a good chance I'll have four books out this year. So. And everyone I, will think you wrote them all in the last year. I know, this is it though, isn't it? It's, um, yeah, three years' work suddenly appears in, in the same instant. It's... I'll make sure to correct them, don't worry. <laughs> thank you. All right, well, thank you so much, David, for taking the time out today. Okay, no, it's been great. Thank you.